guys. Hey everyone, it's great to be with you guys tonight. And um, tonight we're actually finishing a thing we've been doing for a long time, which is a series called The Way, uh, which we started early last year. Um, and we've kind of been doing it in chunks, and it's just been this big teaching on um, Jesus' core teaching, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and the idea is, is that Jesus has announced access to God's kingdom, to relationship and life with God. And then Jesus talks about what does this look like? And as he's doing that, he's showing us the way to actually live a fully true human life that looks like Jesus. And he describes what it's like. And we've been teaching through it um, yeah, since the start of last year. Uh, all the messages are up on the podcast if you want to like catch up on any. Um, but it's the last one tonight. So we're looking at how does Jesus finish um, his teaching. This is in, in many ways the, some of the core teaching of Jesus. And he finishes it in a really interesting way with some warnings, but also a promise. Um, and we're going to look at the warnings and promise tonight. What I thought we'd do is something a little bit different. Is We're, we're looking at how does Jesus end his message, or how does Matthew sort of structure it and show how Jesus finishes it. And I thought, and Jesus is going to make a comment about everything he said before. So what a good opportunity to actually re-listen to everything that he said before. So we're actually going to do a Bible reading um, tonight, and we're going to read three chapters. Um, so it's, it's going to be a bit long. <laughs> it's probably going to take probably 15 minutes or so, but it'll be sort of part of the sermon. So basically we're saying the sermon, but we're going to start with Jesus' sermon um, from, from the book of Matthew. Um, and what we're going to do is um, we're going to do it to music. So I'm going to read out the first chapter. Toby's going to sing the next chapter, and Kate's going to sing the next chapter after that. So it's kind of like a Bible reading, singing song thing. So it'll be good. So what I encourage you to do, though, is is engage um, and, and listen to this teaching from Jesus. Um, you can follow along up on the screen. It'll be going along up there. Um, it might even be easier to follow along, like in a Bible or a Bible app or something like that. Or you may just want to sort of let the words wash over. Uh, this is something we've been talking about for yeah a year, and it's deep, it's it's dense, and Jesus is bringing up massive, multiple issues in life. So it's probably going to hit pretty hard as we all these things. But the idea is just to do an overview, and and then then we're going to sort of finish it off. And if something steps out, stands out, to go back and look at it some more later on. So, are you guys ready? spirit and for how you've come and revealed um, God to us and yourself to us. Um, we thank you that you show us the way and we've been learning about that and we just take this time to listen and, and just let your words wash over us and instruct us. So would you give us open ears and an open heart um, to hear and would you um, yes, yeah, speak your truth and your life to us in your name. So this is Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because your great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, 
How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on, the, on your way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfills the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Tell you. 
Your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be 
darkness If then that light within you is darkness How great is that darkness And no one can serve two masters Either you will hate the one and love the other Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other money. Therefore, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? At the birds of the air, they do not sow, reap, or store away in bonds. Yet your heavenly Father, He Himself feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow They do not labor or spin Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor Was dressed like one of these If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today, tomorrow it's thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things, they will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. has enough trouble of its own.
sheep's clothing But inwardly they are ferocious Ooh. And by their fruit you will recognize them Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes Or figs from thistles And likewise every good tree bears good fruit But a bad tree We might just have like 30 second break and then we'll keep going. Maybe turn to someone next to you. Was there something that kind of really stood out or just sort of jumped out when you get the big picture? Um, I'll just give you a chance to share someone next to you. 30 seconds or a minute or so. first Bible singing. Nice work. Good job. <laughs> so, um, we probably don't need pads. Or so <laughs> okay, so we are going to finish off just looking at that last paragraph that Jesus ends with. Um, it's a promise, um, but it's also a warning. 
And again, we've been saying he, he does this big teaching, but he doesn't end it with like some amazing inspirational story. He actually ends it with warnings that he really wants us to take his words seriously and listen to it. So we're gonna, we looked last week about two responses, um, the narrow way, the broad way, and, and then true and false prophets. Jesus has the last two responses um, to his message that we're going to finish with. So we're going to try and go pretty quick and um, just teach through these verses. So let's go. You might have heard it. Um, it sounds like this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, like we just did, we heard the words of Jesus, or Jesus is talking to the people who are hearing him then. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's the idea, or does them. They're not just words that are heard or understand or thought about or discussed, but they're actually practiced in life. The person who does that is like a wise man, somebody who's thinking, who's making good decisions, who built his house on a rock. So it's this idea of when you're building a house, you need a good foundation. This guy's thinking that, well, you need to be ready for when the house is going to get tested, so we need a good, solid foundation on a rock. The rain came down, so when the storm comes, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So Jesus' first response that he's talking about is people who hear what he's just said. He's talked about life with God, life in his kingdom. What does it mean to follow his way? He's, he's taught it. And again, we've been unpacking this, so there's, there's a whole lot of understanding and depth to what he said. But to hear it, to listen to it, but it doesn't stop there, but to actually then go and do it, actually put it into practice. And that's not like we can just go out and do everything Jesus just said, but that as a way of life, we move in that direction. We practice, we keep growing, and we make mistakes, which is why he says pray for forgiveness. There's lots of grace in his message, but it's the direction that we actually seek to do it, not just hear it. Eugene Peterson in the message says it this way, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living, they are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. And that's the promise that Jesus says that those who hear and listen and actually work these into their life, they're actually building a life on a solid rock, which when the storm comes, when life hits us, when things get hard, when the house of life is shaken to its core, it will stand, is the promise that Jesus gives. Peterson puts it this way, rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. This is not a promise. Jesus doesn't give a promise. It's interesting. He doesn't say that we won't have a storm if we follow his way. Actually, he just assumes that everyone will have a storm. He just assumes the storm is coming. The flood is coming. It will happen eventually. Something will hit us and it will shake us to the core and it will test the foundation of what our life is built on. Just, just like a, a flood will test a building, a, a, a storm will shake it. But the, Jesus doesn't say that we're not going to have a storm. But he makes this amazing promise that actually if we base our life on his words by actually living and practicing them in, in our way of life, that when life hits us, when we're shaken, or when we face death even, we, this is an eternal kind of life that will stand. We'll be able to stand through anything. That's a, this is an amazing promise. That whatever happens, that the foundation of Jesus' words is solid. The house of the life of the person who actually hears and does what Jesus has said will stand in the storm. And, and this is like a solid foundation. Then the next response though is, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. So both people hear, both people are listening to Jesus or both people are reading his words, but this person hears them but doesn't do anything with them. Maybe this person even studies them or, or sings about them or reads about them but doesn't actually work them into their life is like a foolish man. So this is, he's saying this is not good thinking. This is not intelligent. This is not a good decision. Who built his house on sand. The foundation when this person was going to build their house was just not really thought through because it's not solid. And it's fine when there's no rain, but when a rain or a storm hits and it's shaken to its core, it won't stand. The rain came down, the stream rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell 
with a great crash. And that's how Jesus finishes. It actually finishes with a great crash for those who hear but don't actually follow and work it out into their lives. This second response is here, but effectively do nothing. Maybe even say, we love these words, Jesus. They're so great. But we don't actually listen and practically work them out and, and effectively disobey or disregard his words. This is Peterson says it this way, but if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter. Like fool is a strong word. He says this is not a good decision. A stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. And maybe it sounds like a good idea at the time when there's like a nice view, nice sandy beach, but, but when it's tested, the house of their life will fall apart. It says when the storm rolled in, the waves came up and it collapsed like a house of cards. That other foundations that are not a life of trust and, and following and walking with Jesus, he says when it's shaken, it will not stand. It will just crumble. It will fall apart. Maybe it looked great when there was nice weather. It looked really successful. It looked really secure. This was like a nice beachfront house. But when a storm hits it and it's rocked to the foundation, the foundation is unstable. It's not reliable. But you can't tell because both responses look the same. It maybe look the same. Or you can't test the foundation until the storm comes. The storm will reveal if it's, if it's solid or if it's unstable. So what I was saying today is that the way of Jesus... He finishes this message basically saying that his way is the only reliable foundation for life. Which again is a profound thing to say. Completely exclusive thing to say. Jesus says, if you listen and do what I've just said, you'll have a foundation for life. But if you don't, when you're shaken to the core, your life will fail. It's, a, it's an intense thing to say. And he's saying that his words are to be lived, not just heard. It's actually not just that we say that he's our foundation, but we actually work his words into our life as our foundation. So what I'm going to do is just is break down these two statements and, and sort of go from there. So first, the way of Jesus is the only reliable foundation for life, is what, is what he's saying. And part of this is the idea that actually we all are building our lives on something. And, and it will be revealed by what we do more than what we say. Because actually what we do will effectively show what we believe or what we think is stable. Um, Dale Bruner says it this way, everyone is building a house, a life, a career, a family. Everyone builds a house on some foundation. For everyone believes that something is sure and stable. Jesus invites his hearers to believe that his words are the most stable foundation in the world. That everyone has to trust something. Maybe it's just yourself and your own judgment. Or maybe it's um, like uh, your family and what your family have said or your, fa what your family have given you. Maybe it's just like the ideas that are around in our society or our culture. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's reputation. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's looks. But there's something that we base our life on that we think that this is what will make us secure. This will keep us safe. This will give us identity. This will give us purpose. And Jesus is saying any of those things that are not his, his word, will fail. And he's actually said that. If you, you might have heard it throughout his message. He, he says that. If, if you build your life on wealth, on save money, buy a house, invest, get an investment property, like get lots of superannuation, like he says, like it could just get stolen tomorrow. Like the stock market could just crash. Like, or you could die. Like all these things that are like, that is completely unstable. But so often that's presented to us as that's a secure, successful life, is, is wealth and riches, which is not wrong. But as a foundation, when the storm hits, it will fall apart, if that's your foundation. Well, Jesus has talked about in this message as well. He talks about reputation and not seeking reputation from people, but from your Father in heaven. Because if you base your life on reputation, on people thinking well of you, that can be gone in a second. What happens when someone just even falsely accuses you of something and it goes like viral on the internet and your reputation is just destroyed in a second? Like if you've based your whole life on that foundation and it's gone, your life falls apart. Or a relationship, even a family, all, all kinds of things that are good things but can't be a solid foundation 
Jesus says it's only him trusting and walking with him. And he kind of gives hints to this as well. Like he talks in the sermon, like it doesn't matter if, if, if you don't have anything because you have a father in heaven who will provide. It's like it doesn't matter if people reject you and hate you because you'll be rewarded in heaven. It's like it actually whatever life could throw at you if you're living the way of Jesus it actually doesn't matter. It's completely secure and stable. So the first response really is listening to his words, actually recognize and intentionally decide that Jesus will be the foundation for my life. And not just in, in words or in thoughts, but actually in life, actually in action, that we actually trust him enough to do what he said, not rely on the idols of a culture or the, or the things that maybe we're tempted to trust in as a foundation. So firstly, his, his is the only foundation. And this is though such a freeing promise that there is a strong, reliable foundation. There's actually a way to live that's not unstable, that's not unpredictable, that's not unreliable, that couldn't just disappear but actually last for eternity. And actually the worst storm that comes in it will stand. That's what Jesus is promising. Like that's an amazing promise for those who hear and trust and work his words into their life. But this is what he says, that his words are to be lived, not just heard. And this is probably the bigger challenge for us. We probably say, yes, Jesus is the only foundation. But, but the challenge is that he's not talking about saying that or studying that or reading about it or singing about it, really passionately singing about it. He's saying unless we actually do it, it actually is not going to make a difference, which is a challenge. Because we, we, we're kind of used to not doing it. Like, like particularly, I think we, we're just used to that. And that's, that's the sort of standard. We listen, we learn, lots and lots of information. But we don't think that that information has to lead to actual action. We kind of just get stuck in more and more information. I'm preaching to myself here massively. I love learning and studying and information. But Jesus is saying, unless it actually works out into action, it actually is not shaping or changing your life. And this is true, though, in life. Like, we think about, you think about this, for most things in life, this is actually just makes perfect sense. That, that if you um, need something, you need information and action. Just information doesn't help. This is, William Barclay says, there's little point in going to a doctor unless we're prepared to do the things we hear him say to us. There's little point going to an expert unless we're prepared to act on his advice. And this is true, right? Like, like you don't go to a doctor when you're sick and just say, oh, I learned some great stuff about medicine and I learned some great stuff about this illness and it was really interesting. I'm not going to do anything they said. Like, or if you do do that, you're not going to get better. Like, or if you're in like financial hardship and you're like, okay, I need to learn how to budget. I need to learn how to save money because I'm just living week to week and it's really hard. So I need to go find some help. So you go to some expert who's really good and they tell you all the information, this is how you budget. And you think, wow, I just learned so much. It was so great. And you talk and you tell everybody about it, but you don't do it. It actually isn't going to make any difference at all to, to your ability to manage money or to save or to, to budget. Like, like, we get that. Like, that actually makes sense. Like, information that doesn't lead to action actually doesn't really change anything. Um, but William Barclay, in a pretty strong quote, says this, and yet there are thousands of people who listen to the teaching of Jesus Christ every Sunday and who have very good knowledge of what Jesus taught and who yet make little or no deliberate attempt to put it into practice. If we are to be in any sense followers of Jesus, we must hear and do. That actually, it's pretty common to just study, to learn, to listen. And that's good. This is, this is not saying that that's wrong. We need to hear and we need to understand but unless we do, it actually won't make a difference. I think there's a couple of reasons why this is hard. I think one reason, John Mark Comer says in his message on this text, he says, we are used to hearing information and doing nothing about it. We, there's just so much information that we hear all the time. Like, like we, you can listen to sermons, you can listen to podcasts, read Bible studies, or just information in general. Like, we get so much news. You can look up anything on the internet. And, and often that information is just like, hey, that was interesting. <laughs> like, here's some cool facts. Like, did you know about this? This thing happened. Like, and it, like, it's not all related to actual action. 
So we're kind of used to that. I think the other thing is, it's a whole lot easier to just have information than to actually put stuff into action. That's what's actually hard. <laughs> like, it's not hard to read and to go to Bible studies and to listen to sermons and to take notes and to talk about it. Like, that's not hard. It, it, it's, it's hard to actually do it because Jesus is actually calling us to change. He's actually calling us to follow him, to trust him and to follow him. And actually, as we do that, it leads to change. So his words are to be lived, not just heard. And actually, we probably need more action, not just more information. We still need information. We still need teaching. But we actually need to put it into practice, into action. And again, again, like I said, this is just true of life. Like I, I learned to juggle in high school. <laughs> and I had a tiny bit of information about juggling. But mostly I threw up the balls and I dropped them. I threw up the balls and I dropped them. I did that for like two days when I was in high school. And I learned how to juggle. And it's because you do it. I don't think you, you can't learn how to juggle just by reading about how to juggle. Like you have to do it. Like it's the same way you learn to drive a car. You have the theory and then you have to do it. And you're not very good at it to start with, but you do it more, you practice, you get better. Same way you learn a musical instrument, same way you learn how to cook, same way you learn your job, same way anything that actually requires action, it, it, it needs action to be able to do it. And in a lot of ways, the problem I think for us is that we think of Christianity primarily as a set of intellectual beliefs and ideas. But, but the idea of being a disciple or a follower of Jesus is more like being an apprentice. It's more like being like a tradie than it is like a scholar. Like it's more like actually following someone around and, and copying what they do. And it is ideas, but these ideas are related to life. And Jesus calls, when he says to follow him, it's not that we just follow the ideas actually follow him in action and practice. But with, with this, um, you might be listening to this and you might think, well, I don't know about this, Tim. Like you're talking lots about doing, you're talking lots about action. That sounds kind of like works. That sounds kind of like works righteousness or earning, like we're saved by grace. We don't have to do anything. And there's a truth in that and there's an error in that. We're saved by grace. So we don't earn anything with God. We don't work our way to heaven. We don't tick the boxes so that God will be happy with us. Like we are only right with God because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We're saved by his grace and his mercy that happens through putting our trust in him. But to say that we're saved by grace, it doesn't matter what we do or we can do anything is actually not a biblical idea. It, it, actually, we're saved by grace in order to be able to walk in Jesus' way. And that's the only way of life. And Paul even says, if we're saved by grace, if you go and do whatever you want, that's just staying in sin, which leads to death. Like, there's no point in that. Actually, the way to life is to follow Jesus through his grace and by, by his spirit. It's only his giving him, him giving us a new heart and by trusting and walking with him. But that still involves action and effort. This is a great quote, I think, that kind of deals with this difficulty really well. This is Dallas Willard. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. I think sometimes we've been told, well, we don't need works because that's earning. And it's true. We don't earn. But we do need effort. Like God empowers us, but we still have to actually make a choice to walk his ways and like I said, to do is harder. It actually requires a decision and an effort to trust and follow and do what he says. It's not earning. It's, it's all trusting in him. And as, as we heard in, that, in his sermon, if you go back and read through it, like the, the call that he calls us to is so high that it's impossible to do in the flesh or in our strength. It's only possible by his spirit and by walking with him as we become more like him. And his sermon gives so much grace. It talks about forgiveness. It talks about walking by faith. It talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Like the posture is a posture of trust and dependence and resting on Jesus, but taking his word seriously and working it into life, that those two actually go together. So we're saying the way of Jesus... The fire? 
don't need to evacuate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way of Jesus is the only reliable foundation for life. It's good. We just need to wake up and hear that. <laughs> His words are to be lived, not just heard. So as we're coming to finish, I feel like, again, just to this idea and today, there's, there's probably a couple of responses that we could have that, that may be good and maybe not so good. One is to say, man, that was a great series. Like we learn about the Sermon on the Mount like, we learn about Jesus' teaching. I didn't really understand what he meant about the stuff about money, but that sounds really smart. Like, that's really great. Like, what are we going to do next? We're going to Easter. We're going to do some more sermons. Like, that's going to be great. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Like, we want to keep learning and studying and growing, and we're going to. But if we have this attitude of like, tick, done, we've, we've covered the Sermon on the Mount, we'll move on to the next thing. We haven't heard what Jesus has been saying as we've been reading his words. I think the only right response to this series and to this message that he's been given, giving us is, wow, this is a high call. I'm going to spend the rest of my life working out how to follow what Jesus said. That this is a life call. This is, he's saying this is foundation, that we don't move on from this, but that we say this is the foundation I'm going to seek to rest and follow Jesus, and this is my basis for life that I'm going to follow his way. And we, we, we continue to grow and go over it and practice it together in community so that we become more and more like him, that we don't just move on from it. But like we've been saying, it's not what we say that will dictate our decision. It's actually what we do. Will we build on his foundation or will we build on another foundation? And Dale Bruno again says this, the decision not to do Jesus' words is an already a decision to do much. It's the decision to live by someone else's words, for we all live by someone's words. That we can't avoid building on something. We can't avoid following someone. And if you don't think you're following someone, you're more vulnerable. You don't know who you're following, but someone is influencing you and the way that you're thinking and the, the life that you're living. So if we don't decide to follow and actually work out Jesus' words, we'll be following someone else's. But the interesting thing, is that as Jesus finishes this teaching, the response of the crowds, it says this, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. That Jesus, when he's giving this message about his way, about life in the kingdom, he's not just another guy giving his best take on life. He's not just another philosopher. He's not just another teacher. He's not just another guy saying, this is how you have a good life. This is how you be successful. And there's just all these different options and everyone just, some people pick this one, some people pick this one, and you just pick whichever one works for you. Like Jesus is not in that category. He, he has come and spoken with authority. And he has hinted at that throughout his sermon. There's things that he said, like he talks about the Old Testament, the Word of God, and he says, you heard it was said like this, but I say to you. And Jesus doesn't quote anybody for authority. He just speaks. He says, this is the way it is. This is actually what that meant. This is actually the heart of it. And as we get to the end of the message, as we were listening before, Jesus starts to say things like, um, he's going to be the one that people stand before at judgment. And people are going to say to him, Lord, Lord. And people who know him will enter the kingdom, and people who don't know him won't. And then like today, he, as we're reading these words, he says that his words are the only foundation for life. Like Jesus is claiming a great position of authority, and even in the way that he's talking, there's hints at the fact that he's not just a guy giving his best take, that he actually knows, that he actually is the Lord. He actually is from above and he has come down and he is the author of life who's actually showing what life is truly about and the way to live. He's coming and giving the instructions. Actually, this is what life is about. This is what life looks like that's good and successful. I know because I made it. Whereas everybody else who's giving their best take on life, it's like whatever you bought at the shop, the created thing, coming up with their own instruction manual, their best guess at how life works. It's just, this is what I think. But I didn't make it. 
Like, I'm just trying to figure it out. But Jesus is, I made it. I made humans. And I've entered as a human. And this is the way. This is what true life looks like in my kingdom. It looks like trust in a father and love for each other. And he's described that in the highest and most beautiful words as he's gone through. So, so he is speaking as someone with authority. And the thing is that we either trust and believe and follow him or we choose to follow someone else who's actually, it's just their best guess. They're not the author of life. So as we finish today, this is, Jesus finishes with a challenge. So I'm going to finish with his words, which, which is a strange way to finish, but I think there's, there's a point to it that actually leads, leaves us with the weight of what he's saying. So this is what we read today. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash.'" 